0: So welcome back and I trust that you are enjoying your lunch or you already have enjoyed your lunch and the policy is you just keep going until it's all gone. So if you still are hungry, um, just go back and cycle back through and just feel free to do that. It's informal here. So do what you need to do that way. Um, But again, thank you to all the people that prepared that. Just did a great job. So... um, You know we've been running this format now for several weekends and uh one of the things i notice is that after the the worship service and we do the luncheon a lot of people will head out then and that's understandable in some cases they've got a lot of things on their plate and a lot of schedules to keep up with but today i think this is one of our most well-attended afternoon sessions of all the weekends that we've done which is a great testimony um to our speakers and the job that they've been doing here with us this morning, um, just just remember, you know, we talk about creation and rebellion and redemption, restoration, right? We got to understand the creationary issues. We don't understand that, the culture is going to eat you alive. That's why we give time to that. We have to understand the rebellion issues. Okay, the heart. We and, and we've kind of dealt with some of that today. If you've noticed, we've primarily been living in the realm of redemption. What is God doing to fix it? What is God doing to fix me? How does that work out in a practical way? You see how that works? So we dealt with creation, looked at rebellion, we're looking now at redemption, and then of course restoration ties into it. Your life restored, fully restored to the glory of God. I'm going to say it, I've said it a hundred times, I'm going to say it one more time. The biblical worldview is the best explanation of all of reality. You will not find a better explanation... For what you see, experience, and take in in life. Nothing explains better why seashells are on the top of Everest than a biblical worldview. Nothing explains better what happens in the heart of a girl when she's abandoned at an early age than a biblical worldview. See, the Bible is honest with our condition. That's why I love the Christian biblical worldview. It tells me what's wrong in the world, the real world I live in. And it also shows me what God has done to fix it. So it's real with both issues. The depravity and the image of God. The depravity, we're fallen. The image of God, we're capable of good. God redeems us, brings brings together that redemption plan through Christ and restores us. Praise God. One more time, would you welcome uh, Brent and Stacy for our fourth and final session.
1: Keep eating. <laughs> you just keep on eating. Oh, I was back at the back. I was looking at the slides and figuring out, you know, how do we want to start this session? And I was trying to think, okay, know, I can always be a pretty serious person. You can tell my personality. I can be really passionate and serious sometimes. But I was thinking about this session is really about how do we create a safe place, right? And I was in Juliet, Illinois a few years ago. and My son was like, I don't think he was maybe seven or eight or something. And I was going to be speaking for a, a sportsman's dinner and a whitetail seminar. And we walk into this hotel to check in, and I've got my bow case and my backpack, and my son's with me, and the lady behind the counter is eating this chicken sandwich. And she turns to the woman behind her when she sees me, and she said, hey, you want the rest of my sandwich? And this woman goes, no, I couldn't eat a thing. So she throws it in the trash, and she turns around, and she says, can I help you? And I said, yeah. I said, uh, my son and I want to check in. Um, we're speaking over at a Friendship Baptist Church tonight, and they're covering up the hotel or covering the hotel tab. So she puts it in. She goes, oh, what are you doing over at their church again? I said, I'm speaking for like a uh, it's a, like a wild game dinner. She says, "No, what's a wild game dinner? And I said, well, part of the night I'll be talking to those guys that, that love hunting and stuff, and I'll be teaching them how to be better. She goes, oh, you're one of those. I'm like, yeah, my son's looking at me like, uh oh, and I said, yeah. And, and she goes, I'm sorry. She goes, I just have a real pet peeve with hunters. I said, I'm curious. Why is that? She goes, I hate it when people go out and they, they, they kill these beautiful animals and don't eat them. I think it's wrong. And I said, I assure you, everything that I harvest, my family eats it or we give the meat to someone who will. And she goes, well, you know, it's really none of my business. And I kept wondering why she was like kind of being rude. And then I remembered I had a bow sticker then on my bow case that says, I love animals. They're delicious. So my son's kind of watching this whole thing. And, you know, you're always looking for those moments where you can, like, disciple. And I wasn't thinking that way at the time. I just was like, why is she so mad at me? And finally, she checks me in, and she gives me my key, and she goes, I hope you have a good wild game dinner, or whatever it is. And my son's kind of looking at me, giving me the side eye. And I, so fi- I finally said, well, and, and she goes, I'm sorry. She goes, I hope I didn't offend you. I said, no, you're, you're, you're fine. She goes, well, don't you have any pet peeves? And my son goes, and I said, yeah. She goes, well, like what? I said, well, I guess it's these, these people that hate hunters, and then they go out and buy a chicken sandwich, eat half of it, and throw the rest of it away. And I'm like, did I really just say that? But it was one of those things, you know, I was trying, I wanted to later to be able to talk to my son through it. How can we think through what we're thinking? That's what renewing your mind is. It's thinking through what you're thinking. And then replacing it, it's, it's, It's taking captive those thoughts. You know, we are in a culture now that's being told what to think rather than learning how to think. That's dangerous. So in creating a safe place, this session, let me just ask you a question. How many of you would rather have someone use judgment and shaming and condemnation to help you through a mistake you made? Not a single hand. How many of you would want someone to try to understand your story and walk you through it to get into a healthy place? It's it's a no-brainer. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And I wanted to have Stacy come up at the front of this. Um, How many of you were not at session one or two this morning? Yeah, there's probably about maybe a dozen hands or so. She shared a little bit at the beginning of the sermon about, you know, being abandoned and all that stuff. But one of the things that she didn't get to talk about was, you know, early in our marriage, I would find her curled up in the fetal position in the closet. And I wouldn't know what to do you know i grew up in the church and and i i had you know lots of scripture memorized right and that's not really what she was needing but that's what so many other well meaning christians were doing and share a little bit about you know maybe some things that were said to you or what that was like and did it help you or not help you and what did help you and
2: well i've been through so much counseling and even shock therapy to try to combat the demons in my mind that were triggered from my childhood. And um, it, it made it very difficult to talk about how I was feeling, because even, like he said, well-meaning Christian people would tell me, you don't need an earthly father, you have a heavenly father. Or um, just, you know, the past is in the past, it's time to move forward. And I just, I never felt heard and I never felt like my feelings mattered. And um
1: And wasn't one of them just give it to
0: God?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let go and let God and um, all these cliche phrases that, you know, are meant well, but they don't do anybody any good. (laughs) Especially for the one that's experiencing it. Um so you know i said in my in my testimony i don't know if you were in that first session and heard it but i found god in a real new way when it's probably about a year after we got married but even then i wrestled with him privately and quietly and i spent so many times hiding away in that closet and it wasn't until just about 7 months ago I was in the closet for the very last time I haven't been in there since but in that darkest moment I'm trembling and shaking and crying out for God I just I need to feel you I need to feel your presence and and for the first time in 42 years I his presence was so palpable and tangible for me and it literally like was like he lifted me up into his lap and. Um, there you
1: go. So you can probably tell, you know, with her short sleeves, she has that tattoo on her forearm. And it came out of literally what happened in the closet. And, you know, I grew up in a very works work-based church when I was a kid growing up. And it really was more about what you do than who you are and all those things. And she had wanted to get this. And I didn't want to throw a cold bucket of spit on it. I just wasn't, you know, raised with that, even though I think some of them can be pretty cool and everything. I'm like going, now where are you going to get the tattoo? All this stuff.
2: He didn't want it visible.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like. <laughs> And, but there you go again. That's another one of those, you know, those things that I'm buying into. That it's, it's really what you do, not who you are, kind of a deal. So we went, and she explained to me what it means. Tell him what it means.
2: So it's God is greater than my highs and lows, and it just um, no matter what I've been through—abandonment, neglect, fatherless, motherless—God's always been right there, and. And we'll continue to be there. And ever
1: since that moment happened with that, have you been even back in the closet like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been amazing. So here I was internally, I'm judging, right? We go to church the very next morning. We're sitting there, and the very first thing, the sermon that morning. We started a new series. We started a new series.
2: And it was called God is Greater Than.
1: And it had the whole thing up on the screen. I was sitting there, and I went, thanks, God. Thanks for reminding me I can still judge sometimes. Man, the enemy can still, with all of us, you know, just kind of. And I finally went, you know what, even, even in the Scripture, it talks about, you know, his, his word being tattooed on my heart and all these things. But I'm realizing this has become a, a tool for her. When people are asking, tell me about that, to talk about her story, to talk about God's redemption and restoration in her life. Um, it's beautiful. But anyhow, I think that's anything else you want to? Talk about. All right. Well, so then let's go ahead. If you want to just go sit down and go back and eat or whatever. Um, first of all, thank you, guys. It's When you're a speaker, sometimes it's you have an agenda and you've worked on it and you just can plow through it sometimes. And sometimes you need to stop and you got to get real. And I think that's really important. So I want to do that. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I think I want to. I know my wife would encourage me if she knew what I was thinking. You know, I shared with you, you know, earlier this morning about, you know, being in Christian music and, you know, it was the biggest names in Christian music that I got to to tour with and um, had several recordings out on my own. I had a lot of top tens and number ones and different things. And so I was getting my worth and value from all that stuff. And I laid all that down um, after the last big tour I was a part of and thought, you know, I should be in a church working. You know, I needed to die to all that stuff on stage, and I needed to go and went to a church in Pennsylvania, um, and while I was at the church, about four and a half years into being there, um, one of the things that was really difficult was in my marriage, and I don't need to go into any things with that, but there were some, some serious underlying things that we had spent tens of thousands on counseling. I mean, tens of thousands. And I'll never throw anybody under the bus, so I don't need to go into detail, but I can just tell you this, it, you know, it, it eventually led to um, the break of the marriage. And, you know, when it talks about God hating divorce, is there forgiveness? Of course, there's forgiveness. But the reason is because it's not just a cutting, it's a ripping and a tearing. Because family that you, you had on the other side that you knew and loved and spent time with and you know, my parents were married their whole life growing up sixty years before that car accident, and all those things that happened and you want that, and you carry stuff with you like as you wish your children could have had that same mom and dad in the house, the same thing that many of us grew up with, you know, and so you carry that, you carry it for years. It's not a quick one and done thing, right So I was at this church in Pennsylvania, and it was it was years after this ever happened that the divorce happened, but I found myself getting emotionally involved with a woman from the praise team. It wasn't sexual, never met her outside of the building. But I began to just be in, in personal conversations and my heart began to go somewhere else. And so I had confessed it to the staff. And before I got to the church, they had had several pastors on staff who had actually had full blown affairs. And so they didn't know what to do with it. And I became the poster child for how are they going to handle this? So. The reason I can talk about Celebrate Recovery, which I talked about, is one of my things was I was required to go through a Celebrate Recovery. Well, that was healthy. That was good. I was required to go to counseling. There was in-state and the two of us out-of-state. Well, that's healthy. That's good. Um, I was required, let me think. I can't even remember. There was a lot of different things. But they they instructed the congregation for no one to come and visit at the house. Well, now I felt like I was being shunned. And when I resigned, I'll never forget, because some of the things that happened, it was so much shame. I was standing at the pulpit that morning, three services, you know, there's 1,500 people, and I'm confessing what I had done emotionally, tears pouring down my face. I walked off the stage, and as I was looking down the whole time, the people, I loved them, they loved me, it was beautiful. And they, they did a standing ovation. They were clapping and embracing and everything. But the staff sat there with their arms crossed, never showed up in the next three months ever to help me around the house, never to get into my world, never to talk to me, nothing. They didn't know what to do with it. Um, they called me later and said, we want you to come back. We handled this wrong. But at that point, my shame was so deep, I thought there's no way I could ever do that. So when you hear the passion, When I'm talking about beliefs, thoughts, emotions, and actions, how to renew my mind, how that the real me isn't my sin, but the righteousness of Christ, how, without getting graphic, how did I live through that? Let's just say that. How did I deal with that much shame? Because many of you have felt that kind of shame before, and we've known people that have decided that they they couldn't do that anymore. What is the key? He talked about this key. What's the key? It really is identity in Christ. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. We know the power of telling our story because you all have one. And if we fake it and act like we're Facebook couple and that's all you see, smiles and hearts and all this great stuff, sometimes you might see that. Sometimes we post some really hard stuff too, but if that's all you see, you're going to compare yourself to that relationship. And husbands and wives, you're never going to feel like you're enough for each other and you're going to have expectations, well, we should look like that. You don't love me in the way I want to be loved. Well, you don't respect me in the way I should be respected. You want to solve all that stuff? Stop getting your worth and value in your identity from your spouse. Start giving everything of yourself to that person the way that Christ loved you. Don't wait for them. You do it first. Don't be your kid's best friend first. You can be their best friend. That's great. Be their parent first. That's hard sometimes, but I'll tell you what, they'll respect you a lot more. Love sometimes has to have some good boundaries and borders. It's healthy. So anyhow, I wanted you to hear some of my stories so you would know why I do this and why it means so much because it changed everything. Joey was talking to me. He goes, I don't know where you were getting your mentoring and teaching with this stuff. He said, but man, well, when I came back from Pennsylvania in shame with my tail between my legs, God directed me to a man who went to DTS and we sat down. I call him my spiritual Yoda. He spent 10 years, not every month or every week, every day, discipling me, no matter what. Changed everything. I thank God for those people, and I want to be one, and I hope I hope you do too. So let's talk about this. How do we create, you know, a safe place? I was I was flying to California not too long after my my personal train wreck and I came back and God was getting me back on my feet again, and I began to speak. And I was flying to California and I, and I get on this plane and there's this woman sitting beside me and she's got her head covering on and everything and she's crying, visibly crying. I, you know what, just play that video. I've got a video of this, do that. I'll let the video tell you the story. You know, stuff happens in our lives and with people that are close to us, you know, close friends, you know, our spouses, family members. And the lifeline that we end up throwing them usually isn't because we're really wanting to help them necessarily. It's like we don't want to pull them in the boat until we know that they're fixed. That usually doesn't work real well, does it? You know, those lifelines, instead of coming alongside someone and, and becoming an empathetic listener and, and, and getting into their world, tend to look more like, you know, shaming, you know, shunning someone, judging, gossiping. And truly, I don't know of anyone who's been rescued by throwing a lifeline like that. Let me give you an illustration. I was on a plane about six months ago going to California. And there was a woman sitting beside me by the window and I could tell that she was, she was visibly upset. She'd been crying. And so I kind of prayed about it for a minute. How can I get into her world? And God said, just, just begin to open the conversation with her. Don't you know, try to fix her in your brain. Just listen to her. And so I said, ma'am, are you okay? She said, no. I said, what's, what's going on? You want to talk about it? She said, it's been a really, really rough weekend. So what happened? She said, we had to let someone go from our our church. And I said, oh, was it a staff member? She said, no, she said it was a really close friend of mine. I said, explain to me what you mean that you had to let her go from your church. Well, we asked her to leave. I said, oh, really? Why is that? And they said, well, she wasn't living the way that we thought she should be living. There was something in her life that we thought, frankly, wasn't a godly thing. And we said, you know, you need to leave the church. I said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. She said, well, we did everything we knew to do. You know, the Bible says if your brother sins against you, that first you go to them. Then, you know, you take a witness. And then you take it before the church. She said, we did all those things. And then the Bible says that at that point, if they still haven't, you know, changed, then you treat them like a pagan and tax collector. I said, where is that verse found? She said, well, that's that's in Matthew. I said, oh, that's right. I said, and what was Matthew? She said, well, he was a tax collector. how did Jesus treat tax collectors? Hmm. The woman began to cry again. And I said, how did Jesus treat tax collectors? And she looked up through her tears and she said, he loved them. Yep. Why is it that we tend to want to use control stuff like shaming, judging, shunning, all that stuff, to try to get someone to do what we think they should be doing? By getting into someone's world and helping them get to the truth, it's a beautiful thing. It builds trust. Um, I love this. This is one of my favorite passages. You know, I, I usually use like the, or the NASB, NASB or, but this is like when I'm wanting to just kind of simplify it, I'll go to the message, and I love this. It says, if there's corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Really? (laughs) That's kind of a kick in the face to some of us, isn't it? Because we want to try to fix and control someone, that we think that's how they're going to change. I don't know of anyone that truly has a core change like that. You know, where does revelation come from? It comes from God. It doesn't come from me. And when they get that revelation, when does it happen? When God knows they are ready to hear it. Because I've read scriptures and so many things, and and it didn't really hit me until I went through something, and God says, now is the moment. And all of a sudden, I went, like, where did that verse come from? It's that aha moment that God creates within us. So I don't need to try to fix and control someone. God already has all this stuff under control. This is beautiful. I was speaking. Um, I did a game dinner in Pennsylvania, and afterward, they had me stay over on a Sunday morning to speak like like today. And... When I was done, um, I went down and sat down beside the pastor while the praise team was, you know, doing the final song. And he leaned over to me and he said, we have someone in the back of the church that we had to let go from our leadership team this morning. And they're a mess. And one of our elders is back there praying with him. Would you be willing to go back and spend some time with him? I said, yeah. So I said, what happened, if you don't mind me asking? They said, well, um, he, he had a porn addiction years ago. And he got back into porn. And his wife got on the computer and found it and um, she's kicked him out of the house, and they told their twin daughters, 14-year-old daughters, told them what had happened, and uh, we let them go from the leadership team as well. And I said, okay. So I went back, went in the room, and as I'm coming to the door to go in the room, I can hear this loud praying. I was like, like, like almost like a cartoon kind of, like really loud. And as I open the door, I see this elder And he's got his hand, this one man that's broken, he's down, he's just shaking and crying on his knees. And this man has one hand on his head and he's doing like a, dear God, this man hath sinned and and he's destroyed his family and his testimony. I'm going, oh my gosh. It's, here we go with the shame and fear and condemnation, all this stuff. I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I walk over and I just put my hand on this man's shoulder and he turns and I said, hey, I said, when you're done, um, Pastor asked me if I could just come back and talk with him for a few minutes, so he leaves, and I lock the door behind him, and I go walking over and i said, man, get up i said, I pulled a chair up and I said, What happened? He told me what I told you about the the porn issue and getting caught and his wife kicking him out and kicked off the leadership team and all this stuff and there was a there was a uh, a white or a blackboard or whatever it was and i and I got um marker and i said uh, do me a favor, I want to do something. I want to write down advantages and disadvantages, and I want to make two columns here. I said, I want you to tell me what the disadvantages of what just happened to you this weekend. He said, well, I've been kicked out of the house and I'm not allowed to come back until I get help for my addiction. I said, OK, so I wrote that down. So give me another disadvantage. He says, well, I'm out on my own now. I, I, I've never paid any of the bills. I don't even know where to start. I says, OK, I don't know how to pay my bills. Give me another one. She goes, Well, she shops for all the groceries and cooks. I, I don't know how to shop for groceries or cook. I said, give me another one. I've been kicked off the leadership team, and I'm totally humiliated. So I wrote it down. I said, you got any more? He goes, that's enough. I said, yeah. I said, let's write down the advantages now of what just happened. He goes, there's no advantages. I said, well, let's look at your list of disadvantages. I've been kicked out of my house, and I can't come home until I get help for my addiction. He goes, well, I've already set up an appointment on Wednesday. I'm, I'm already going in to get help. Oh, so that's not a disadvantage because you're going to get help. Let's make that an advantage now. I'm going to get help from my addiction. I said, is it a good thing or a bad thing? You don't know how to pay your bills. He goes, it's not a good thing. I get to learn how to pay my bills advantage. I get to learn how to cook and shop for groceries advantage. He said, but what about the last one? I've been kicked off the leadership team and I'm totally humiliated. I said, let me ask you a question. Is learning how to walk in humility a good thing or a bad thing? I get to learn how to walk in humility. I don't trust people that haven't been broken. I just don't. Because all of us, if we understand the depth of our sin, if we come to that place where we're honest, we are broken by it. Does God want us broken? Absolutely, he wants us broken. Does he want you to stay broken? No, he wants you healed. And everything we've been talking about this morning, finding our way out of the wilderness by seeing the enemy's playbook after he he comes after our identity and being able to untangle his lies, such a beautiful thing. And it's a way to be able to create a safe place to be able to find healing for yourself, and then after you've walked through it long enough. Because here's the thing, like with when, I'm, when I'm doing counseling or coaching, there's really three things that I have to be able to with that person beyond my A game. And I'll be honest with you, it's harder to do with my family than it is with somebody else, because they're much more invested. And my wife will be nodding her head, yes, it is. But it's true, if I'm going to be working with someone, there's three things I have to be able to do. Number one is, I have to be able to, to listen well. I have to be a good listener, OK? I have to do that. Um, I have to be able to ask questions that's one of the hardest parts sometimes too is knowing what questions to ask to help them get to what's true without and then the third thing is and do that without an agenda without trying to fix them so i have to listen well i have to ask questions and then do it without an agenda and that's what i was really doing with this guy I was just listening to a story asking questions is that a good thing or a bad thing all these different things with no agenda he got to the truth himself And the tears that he had, you could see the relief. And there were still some tears, but they were tears of, I'm actually going to get healthy, aren't I? Yeah, you are. You're going to be a stronger man than you were before. This has always been in there, what's been going on with you. But now you don't have to be hiding. Now you get to, and that's one thing is, the enemy wants you to hide your stuff. He does. This is something, uh, the next book that I work on, I'm going to put this in. I just, this hit me about a month ago. I was telling Stacy, do you guys know, when, when you see like an adult, um, you know, like a pedophile, what they will do with, with a, a young kid or whatever it is, they will groom them by all kinds of extravagant gifts and do all this stuff, right? The enemy wants to be intimate with you. And I, you know what I mean by intimate with you? He wants to be your closest buddy, pal. You know that sin you did over here? That's between us. I won't tell anybody. It wasn't good. You're bad. You shouldn't have done that. You're a bad person for doing that, and they're all going to know it if you tell them, but I won't ever do that to you. That'll be our little secret, right? And that's how he forms a bond with us, because I won't tell what you did, because it will expose you really bad. I am bad on my own, in my flesh, but at my core, like we talked about, I'm totally righteous, 100% righteous. The enemy is, I hate him. I hate him. My friend that I was telling you about, that wrote the book called The Cure, has a beautiful story. And it's kind of, we're going to be, as we're heading you know, toward finishing today up, we've walked through a lot. We've walked through the big lie. We've talked about, um, you know, beliefs, thoughts, emotions, and actions. Um, I, I, we're going to be talking a little bit in a, just a second about how challenges are gifts, like we just did with the disadvantages and advantages. But I want to share this little story that, there was a man who was really struggling in his walk with God. You know, Stacy talked about her anger and her struggle. I think we've all been there. I know I have. And he's walking down the path and he comes to a split, in a, just like the, the story this morning. He comes to a split in the trail. And he sees a sign and he looks, and one way says, pleasing God, and the other one says trusting God. And he says, Well, I'm I think I'm supposed to please God with my life. So he chooses that. As he walks down the path, he comes to he comes to a door and above the door it says the room of good intentions. And so he opens the door and when he does, there's a woman who meets him, but she has a mask on, and he's looking at her and she says, How are you today? And he says, I'm terrible. I'm doubting God. I'm, I'm worried my, my son is on drugs, my daughter is pregnant, because I just she's like, Shh, you can't say that in here. And he looks around and it's this beautiful sanctuary with stained glass windows and nothing is out of place. No wrinkles in the tablecloths, no crumbs left, no lipstick on the cup. There's nothing. Everything is perfect. And Tom's talking to Bill. Hey, did you hear my son got his doctorate last week? Yeah, did you hear I got a 10-point buck? I mean, everything is perfect in this room. And he goes, "I I can't do this. And so he thinks to himself, what if there was a place so safe that I could actually share the worst about myself and be loved more, not less for the telling of it? This room isn't it. And he shuts the door to the room of good intentions, and he walks away, and he throws the mask that she gave him down. And he comes back out again, and he comes to that crossroads, pleasing God, and he goes, wait a minute. I mean, trusting God? Remember the voice with me, do you trust me? Trusting God. He goes, well, I'll try it. And he walks down and he comes to this doorway and above it it says the room of grace. And when the door opens up, there's this beautiful light and this beautiful woman who's standing and she's not wearing a mask, but she's got, you know, crow's feet going on around her eyes and, I mean, it's, and she, he's looking around the room and everything isn't perfect. I mean, there's disheveled pillows, there's crumbs, there's all this stuff. He can hear people crying, some people laughing. And she says, how are you today? And he says, "Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm good, yeah. I'm, everything's fine. I'm good. She's like, you don't have to be that way here. Fine. I'm not fine. So I've lost my job. My wife left me. My daughter is pregnant. My son is on drugs, and he's yelling all this. And he goes to turn to walk away, and he hears from the back of the room, is that all you got? And he turns back around, and the woman says, come in." Takes him over, sits him down in a seat. She calls her husband over. They sit down with him. And he said, I don't have to be perfect. He said, let me tell you something. He, goes, he looks at her and he goes, but you're not wearing the mask like they were in the other room. And, and, but you're beautiful. She goes, yeah. And she goes, you know, when I was young, I used my beauty in, in ways that I shouldn't have. I would do it to get a man's attention. And she goes, I never really acted out fully on it, but I would get him to look at me or give me his phone number. Or I just knew. And I would do all these things with my beauty to get his good enough that I could make myself feel better. It was bad for me, it was hard on my my husband. And he's sitting here and they begin to talk about life and he begins to realize for the first time that he can share what's really going on in his life because that place is so safe that he really can share the worst about himself and be loved more not less for the telling of it. So we all come to this, we all come to this sign What are you going to choose? Are you going to try to live in that world where we can't let anyone know that we're struggling in our marriage, right? I can't let anyone know that I've got porn in my phone. I can't let anyone know that, you know, my kids are out doing drugs and they got caught and they got arrested, but we're trying to hide it. Whatever the thing is that you're so afraid that someone's going to. I always say everyone has an ace in the whole sin. That we're afraid that if anyone knew what it was, they wouldn't love us anymore. But I want to tell you this, when you can finally confess what's really going on in your life in a safe place, you are going to be loved more, not less, for the telling of it. We were talking earlier. I don't really respect anybody that hasn't hit bottom and can share about it. I don't trust them. But I trust someone that can tell me the worst about because, and I see the glory of God. Yesterday, Joey and I were out front. Whew, still feel it. And we were talking, and he said, I can tell you've been through the crucible." What are you afraid of? Because you're going to come out stronger on the other side. And you're going to have a story to tell. And you're going to be safe for that person. I want to be a safe person. I hope you do. Paul is my, I mean, when it comes to earthly people, Jesus always up here. But when it comes to these, I mean, Paul rocks. He says, is it not clear to you to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? He says, I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. I was on a fishing trip with my son. I had fished this spot in northwest, or northwestern Pennsylvania. He was five or six, and I had limited out. I mean, in the first 20 minutes, my buddy took me there. I'd been, now, this place was called Elk Creek in northwestern Pennsylvania. It's got like 30-foot high cliff walls in some areas, and it's got steelhead and trout, and it's, it's loaded with these. If you love to fish, it's a great place to go. He took me to the spot where there was two streams that came together, and then it connected, connected on a whirlpool, and then it went on down, and that whirlpool would hold all these, these steelhead and trout. And so, three days later, I took my son back. But the reason I didn't take him the next day is because it was pouring rain. I mean for three days it rained hard. Well what happens to water levels when it rains like that? Well see that's, the problem was this stream was it went into Lake Erie. It had feeder streams but no outlet except Lake Erie. So the water was going to go up. I didn't know the stream. So the next three days later I get there. It's cold. It's, you know, it's almost freezing. We got our thermals on and camo jackets and tackle box and lunches and hot chocolate and all this stuff. When we get there in the dark and I get to the stream, and no one was parked there. I'm like, why is nobody here? I didn't know what happened with the water level when, when when the rain came. And so we walked down, and it's just starting to get light. And instead of it being crystal clear like it was, the water, it looked more like my son's chocolate milk from breakfast. And I'm like, wow, this." in my head I'm thinking, I'm going to have to use a different color lure. That's where I was going with it, right? So I get him on my back, and I start to make my way out. And now in the center of the stream, it was only about waist deep normally. The whirlpool was normally about 10 feet deep, 8, 10 feet deep. So I'm out walking across this stream, and there's a big cliff on the other side going around. And I'm out there, and I don't even get a third of the way out, and it's already up to, over my chest Waiters, and it's pouring in. I've got my son on my back, fishing poles, tackle boxes, lunches, and I'm being knocked down the stream like this with the current, right? But I'm thinking, i got to go fishing. got to take my son out there and get him some fish and learn to love this. And Now I'm freezing because I'm full. I mean, I've, all my long johns are soaked. I'm soaking wet with this. And, I, and I'm looking for this little rock island that there had been in front of this whirlpool because that's where we're going to set our stuff down and fish. What had been, you know, 15 yards long, I couldn't even find it. I finally see about maybe six feet of rocks barely sticking up, like gravel rocks sticking up. I throw this stuff down, get Garrett off my back, and I said, Garrett, I said, we can't fish. This is dangerous. I said, I'm, And I'm shaking. I'm freezing. I said, we got to get out of here. But I can't go back the way we came. I said, if I slip and fall now, I said, you're going to be swept away. I mean, it was n- bad, real bad. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay here on this little island. I'll take the gear, and because I can I could get, r- it was only a little sh- shoot to get over to where the cliff was. I said, let me get over there, and I'll walk around that cliff where the whirlpool was, and I'll get to the other side of it. Because there's two streams, I'm thinking two streams have to be shallower than one big stream. Stay here. I get the stuff. I go around the cliff. I'm getting around this whirlpool. I get to the other side where the two streams are, and I step down and put my foot down, and my boot hits the top of a moss-covered rock, and I slip, I slap down on the water, and immediately I'm sucked into the whirlpool. Well, we found out later that the whirlpool was more like 16 feet deep because of the water change, and I'm sucked into this thing. Have you ever been like body surfing at the ocean, and you go off the top of a wave, and you're tumbling, and you can't tell which way is up or which way is down? That's what I'm doing, but there's logs and sticks from the spring melt. Everything had clumped up inside this hole, and I'm getting stuck, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I'm dead. I'm dead, I'm dead. My son, my, he's get- And about that time, I was literally sucked down to the bottom. I don't know whether it was a log or a rock, but I hit something really hard, and I was able to push off and get my face all the way up above water, and I'm backstroking to my son, and he's trying to come to me, and I'm screaming, you know, Garrett, stay there. Tackle boxes and fishing poles still in my hands. Go figure that one out. And I get to him, and I get out, and he goes, Dad, your lips are blue. And I said, buddy, we're in trouble. I don't know what to do. We begin to yell as loud as we can for help. I mean, for about five minutes, we're just screaming. There's nobody here. And all of a sudden, above that cliff, I hear a voice. I look up, and there's this teenage boy, and then another teenage boy. And then they both start yelling, Dad, Dad. Their father was a local fish commissioner who came to see if anybody was stupid enough to fish on a day like this. Here's my sign. He comes down, makes a human chain. They get around, they, they break off sticks, and they, they get us across. We get to the back of my pickup truck, and I had brought along a change of clothes because you never know what a kid might get into, you know, and, right? And he starts to pray without me saying a word. Dear God, thank you for rescuing my dad and me from this watery grave. Thank you for sending those guardian angels. And then he calls them the Navy Seals of the universe. That's the way he always saw them, like Navy Seals, right? So my spiritual mentor, years later, I come back. And it was the former head of Promise Keepers that encouraged me. He says, Brent, you need to write the stories down. He had a big influence in my life to reach men. And as I'm writing this, I take it to my spiritual Yoda, the mentor. And I said, what do you think about the story? And he goes, I think it's a great story, but I think you missed the point. I said, what do you mean? He says, you think that it was your son praying that these Navy SEALs of the universe came and rescued you? He says, I actually think it was the Whirlpool. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, it was a terrible thing. This Whirlpool, he goes... Let me ask you a question. Was it a good thing or a bad thing you got sucked down to the bottom? I said, it was awful. He said, but in this whirlpool, what if you'd have been only sucked down to 12 feet in this 16-foot depth or 8 feet or even just 2 feet? I said, I'd have died. He said, let me ask you again. Was it a good thing or a bad thing you hit bottom? Did you feel that? That's an aha moment. When revelation happens, God has a way of being able to do that in our life. And we begin to understand his grace and the plan and the purpose that he has for us. If we choose to walk in to whatever is going on and we hear that voice, do you trust me? But we can't do that if we don't know him. We can't do that. How do we get to know him? Yeah, through prayer, through reading his word. I talk to God when I'm in my truck, when I'm in my trees, and I'm always, because I want to know my Father. How will I know it's my Father's voice if I never spend time talking to Him? And we want to look at only good things being good things, but look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, for only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. When was I closest to God? When I was curled up in the fetal position in my closet after the staff sat there on the front row and I went home and I wanted to die but I never felt closer to God than I was in that moment because he never left me or forsaken me. All this trouble is a clear sign that God's decided to make you fit for the kingdom. Whatever's going on in your life, he's making a story. It's going to be amazing. Are you willing to let him do that? Paul was a lawman's lawman, right? Listen to what he says after his conversion. Because of the extravagant revelations and so I wouldn't get a big head, He says, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he did in fact was push me to my knees, but no danger then of walking around high and mighty. He says, at first I didn't think of it as a gift and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Let me ask you, was it a good thing you had to learn to walk in humility or a bad thing? And then he says, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and stride them with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. How many of you were fans of Star Wars? How many of you saw that back in the 70s when it came out? Remember Obi-Wan? Go ahead, cut me down. He's telling the Darth Vader, go ahead, cut me down, and when I come back, I'll be stronger than ever. Go ahead, enemy. Do your best, because it's going to become my story. Good luck. God's greatest purpose is to see his children healed. That's why he sent Jesus, so that our broken pieces could be made new. And I love this line, once and for all. Let me do something really quick before we we pray and dismiss and get out of here. I talked about the big lie. My performance plus others' opinions equals my self-worth. I talked about um, you've got to identify the unhealthy emotion, the unhealthy thought. Identify the truth and then renew your mind with it. Talked about grace-based theology, all these different things this morning that we the challenges are gifts. If you would be willing, is there anybody that might just say just one or two words, what nugget were you able to take away this morning that you want to remember that really meant something to you? You don't have to give me your testimony, but I would love to hear what was something like when I said, how do I know whether the, the thought that I'm having is coming from God or the enemy? Well, remember, if the emotion lines up with the deeds of the flesh, it's coming from the enemy. But if it lines up with the fruit of the Spirit, it's coming from God. Those kind of things. Anybody willing to say something this morning that just, as a takeaway for you.
0: So I've got the mic. Just put your hand up. I'll take my headset off and just let you talk into it.
1: And yeah, here's what I know when with better? guys, when I do men's retreats, They'll sit there stone-faced, but if I sit here long enough, they eventually open up.
0: Well, I can tell you I love your T acronym.
1: Oh, the the T-E-A? Yeah,
0: yeah, the thoughts, emotions, and actions. Yeah. And, of course, the B in front of it now, beliefs, you know, because it impacts our thoughts. And I, I know for me personally, like when I run and stuff, I think about things like that. And I can definitely see like a spiritual step being taken by me this week and how I think about the things, the thoughts that define my day. And my thoughts definitely do that. It it can send me into an emotive state that makes me negative with my wife or frustrated with people I encounter or whatever. But so I know what you're saying is true, applicational and works because it's God's way. It's God's plan. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Just anything. We're not going to stay. We've only got like a couple of minutes here, but, but I'd love to see. I can go this route who's brave enough i won't do that who is brave enough (laughs)
0: okay i'm gonna go back to pastor deb
1: now you see this men a woman just led the way
0: yeah oh okay i don't know if you had the other
1: microphone okay Uh, uh, just um really jumped out at me um by the grace of god and i pray that this within me is for others that there's a safe place that you can share the worst yourself, or that I can share the worst about myself, and loved more, not less. Can you restate that a little bit? It was kind of hard for me to... Okay. Um, I like the idea of a safe place yes. to share the worst about myself, and be loved more, not less. Yeah. How many, how many of you feel in here, and again, this isn't going to be telling anybody, how many of you feel that you really do have a safe place where you could say Anything? Knowing that they're not going to go telling somebody else or be judged for it. Very few people. I mean, there's only a handful of people. Usually, when I do this, they're going, "Yeah, I could." I have. Most of us don't even have one, let alone more than that. I hope you will seek it out because it's available. You can find it. But here's one of the conditions: you probably need to go first. You need to. You need to let them know that you're a trustworthy person. Um, you know, it goes both ways. If you're going to want them to be a safe place, you have to be one, too. But it's for the purpose of restoration and healing, okay? Something else.
0: quote up on the screen. I think I saw it flash. What
1: was it? Which quote was it?
0: It's the one where you feel not yeah, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You heard that one time, and I was trying to get my phone to get a picture of it, and uh, right there, that's it. That's powerful right there.
1: And if you guys are looking for a good book, besides mine, I'm just kidding. That was kind of funny, wasn't it? The Cure. If you want a a book that talks about that safe place and what that kind of relationship looks like, it's called The Cure by John Lynch. I highly recommend this. It's not a hard read. Um, You know, there's something that I don't do well. My my wife will tell you this. When I'm on my A game or maybe when I'm working with other people, I do it better. But there's something I created called Guide, G-U-I-D-E. I say everyone needs a guide, but here's what guide stands for. And it works within relationships, any relationship. When you have a problem happening in your relationship and you want to get it better, you know what it's like when you get defensive and you guys are fighting and you can never come to an agreement on something. You just, it's because you're getting your worth and value from the other person and you feel like you have to be heard too or first or whatever. If you have to win an argument, you've already lost it. Let me say that again. If you have to win, you already lost. But here's what G-U-I stand, or GUIDE stands for. G stands for get some truth. When you're talking with that person, whatever they're upset about is really true to them. That's why they're so passionate about it. So don't interject what your truth is. Even if only 10% of what they're saying is true, it's very true to them. Get some truth, what they're talking about. Get to the truth of what they believe. The U is understand before being understood. Understand before being understood. Don't try to get them to think your way right now because you just lost them if you jump into it that fast. They're going, you're not even listening to me. You're listening to respond. You're not listening to hear. What does I stand for in guide? Inquiry. Ask questions. So get some truth. Understand before being understood. And then I is inquiry. Ask questions. And do it without an agenda. It's not to try to make sure you're right or to fix. Remember that. You want to find out what's going on. Once you've done those three things, that's basically a disarming technique is what it is. But when you get to D in guide, now is discuss my feelings. Now I can talk about how I see it because I've listened to you. I can stink at this sometimes. Now, when I'm working with somebody else that's not really close, I can do this like a charm. But in those people, it's hardest at home. But I'm giving you this because it does work when you're in your right mind and you can do it. But E of guide stands for encouragement. When you saw the video of the guy hand-fishing this morning, when he he got done catching that salmon, did you see Chris was clapping for him? You did it, you did it, you know, and encouraging someone. So I've discussed my feelings, well, here's how I see it, and then the encouragement might look like, I am so grateful you were willing to share all that stuff with me. That must have been really hard in your life. Thank you for listening to my point of view on that, too. I really believe that's going to bring us closer together. You know, it's just whatever that looks like. So let me go through it real quick, G-U-I-D-E, and then we're going to wrap up. Get some truth. Understand before being understood, inquire, ask questions. Now, discuss my feelings, and then be an encourager, okay? Anything else anybody wanted to add to one of those things I said before we, any nuggets? And you can come back to the table, that's fine too. I know it's, it's getting late, we want to get out of here. So please come back to the table, say hey to Stacy and I. She would love to hear some of your stories too, because I know that some of you out there can relate. Um, God, thanks thanks for the rain. Um, Not too much of it, please, but we love it. Uh, May it drown out the smell of the manure I smelled coming out this morning. But we're thankful for that because that fertilizer creates growth and new life. The enemy wants us to think that we need to keep that fertilizer in our own life gone where no one can see it. But fertilizer, that's the stuff that causes growth. It's those hitting, botting moments that, that cause us to grow, allow us to be broken, And God, we invite you to heal us. Give us a story. Give us a purpose. Thank you for your redemption, your restoration, the gift of your son. In Jesus' name.